clothes reflected his trim habits of mind. Following closely was Mr. Diamond's first assistant, a tall, loosely jointed man with a vague academic air. Not a man to waste time, it was Diamond's practice to dictate memos even while en route between meetings. The first assistant carried a belt recorder at his hip, the pinhead microphone of which was attached to his metal-rimmed glasses. He always walked close beside Mr. Diamond or sat near him, His head bowed to pick up the flow of clipped, monotonic directives. Considering the heraldic stiffness of CIA mentality, it was inevitable that their version of wit would suggest a homosexual relationship between Diamond and his ever-hovering assistant. Most of the jokes had to do with what would happen to the assistant's nose should Mr. Diamond ever stop suddenly. The third man trailing behind and somewhat confused by the brisk pace of action and thought surrounding him, was an Arab whose western clothes were dark, expensive, and ill-fitting. The shabby look was not his tailor's fault. The Arab's body was not designed for clothes requiring posture and discipline. Diamond slipped into an aisle seat across the auditorium from Star. The first assistant sat directly behind him, and the Palestinian, Frustrated in his expectation that someone would tell him where to sit, finally shambled into a seat near the back. Turning his head so the pinhead microphone could pick up the last of his rapid, atonic dictation, Diamond closed off the thoughts he had been pursuing. Introduce the following topics to me within the next three hours. 1. North Sea oil rig accident. The media suppression thereof. 2. This professor type who's investigating the ecological damage along the Alaska pipeline, the termination thereof by apparent accident. Both these tasks were in their final phases, and Mr. Diamond was looking forward to getting in a little tennis over the weekend, provided, of course, these CIA fools had not screwed up this Rome international action. It was a straightforward spoiling raid that should not have presented any difficulties. But in the six months since the mother company had assigned him to manage CIA activities involving the Middle East, he had learned that no action is so simple as to be beyond CIA's capacity for error. Diamond understood why the mother company chose to maintain its low profile by working behind the cover of CIA and NSA, but that did not make his job any easier. Nor had he been particularly amused by the chairman's lighthearted suggestion that he think of the mother company's use of CIA operatives as her contribution to the hiring of the mentally handicapped. Diamond had not yet read Starr's action report, so he reached back for it now. The first assistant anticipated him and had the report ready to press into his hand. As he glanced over the first page, Diamond spoke without raising his voice. Put the cigar out, Starr. Then he lifted his hand in a minimal gesture, and the wall lights began to dim down. Daryl Starr pushed his sunglasses up into his hair as the theater went dark, and the projector beam cut through slack threads of blue smoke. On the screen appeared a jerky pan over the interior of a large, busy airport. "'This here's Rome International,' Starr drawled. "'Time reference.' 1334 GMT. Flight 414 from Tel Aviv has just arrived. It's going to be a piece before the action starts. Those Italian customs jokers ain't no speedballs. Star, said Diamond wearily. Sir, why haven't you put that cigar out? Well, to tell you God's own truth, sir, I never heard you ask me to. I didn't ask you. 
Embarrassed at being ordered around in the presence of a foreigner, Starr unhooked his leg from the seat in front and ground out the almost fresh cigar on the carpet. To save face, he continued narrating as though nothing had happened. I expect our Arab friend here is going to be some impressed at how we handled this one. It went off slick as cat shit on linoleum. Wide shot. Customs and immigration portal. A queue of passengers await the formalities with varying degrees of impatience. In the face of official incompetence and indifference, the only passengers who are smiling and friendly are those who anticipate trouble with their passports or luggage. An old man with a snow-white goatee leans over the counter, explaining something for the third time to the customs officer. Behind him in line are two young men in their twenties, deeply tanned, wearing khaki shorts and shirts open at the throat. As they move forward, pushing their rucksacks along with their feet, camera zooms in to isolate them in mid-